Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. We have some great volunteers at Harvest Ridge. Actually, I don't like calling them volunteers. Volunteers sound so volunteerish. We get some of the best servants in the world. Some of the best servant leaders in the world. Great people at Harvest Ridge. So, um, I got a message for you today from Luke chapter 13. So, you're going to want to open your Bible, Luke 13. We will get there in a second. Um, Before I get all serious, let me do this. There are three types of people in this world. Those who can count and those who can't. Wow. That one went right over somebody's head. They're like, what's he talking about? Three types of people in the world. The waitress asked me how I like my eggs. I said, in cake. (laughs) Hey, cake for breakfast? That's all right, right? It has eggs, right? Yeah. Milk, cake, there you go. All right, so uh, why doesn't Jesus wear jewelry? Because he breaks every chain. (laughs) All right, all right. So anyway, I started this text, and the sermon is Dig Dung. Does anybody remember Dig Dug? Anybody remember that, Dig Dug? You old enough to remember it? Wave at me. See, all right, wow, you got to be old. You people are old. So Dig Dug, all right, it's a, it's a video game years and years ago. And, um, you know, I got this passage I need to talk to you about, and I thought I knew what I was going to talk about, and then I made the mistake of reading the Bible. You ever do that? You've done that, right? You know what? You approach the, the scriptures thinking something, but then God actually talks to you through the text, so you got to back up and listen. So allow me a couple of minutes to back up and listen to the text before we get to the text, all right? So let me set this up. Have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever asked that question? That's pretty popular question. I got a better one for you. If you're an atheist and you're a nihilist and, you know, you believe you're just a random chunk of mass that just happens to have whatever life in you, why do good things happen at all? Why, uh, anyway, so a great question. Why do bad things happen to good people? My question is, why, why do you expect good things? Where did you get that idea that you should have good things happen to you? It doesn't come from a worldview that doesn't include God. Simple fact that you expect good things means that you expect you're more than just a chunk of matter in this world. Huh. So the expectation is an expectation in you given by the very nature of God. And there's always been this struggle directly related to bad things, saying they're one-to-one equal. You do bad things, you get bad things. You do good things, you get good things. And And um, that's called karma, and we'll talk about karma in a second, but can we talk for a second about one of the ways the scriptures wrestle with this? There were some people that were trying to convince Job uh, that all the bad that happened to him was because he was a bad person, and they said in Job chapter 4 verse 7, consider now, who being innocent has ever perished, where the upright ever destroyed, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Well, there's some reality to this. There is a, a principle here. It's not karma, but there is a principle that what you focus on is often what you get. 
what, what you focus on and what you, you spend your time thinking about is what your life revolves and evolves into. All right, you don't believe me. All right, anybody ever had an older car that all of a sudden it just, you know you can't keep it. It, it, it doesn't start anymore. It's costing more to, uh, you know, you take it to get something fixed and they're like, it's going to cost more to fix it than it's worth. Have I ever been there? So you know you need to update your car. I didn't say get a new car. I said you need to update your car. Because if you buy a new car, you've got to be rich. Because think about the amount of money that it goes, well, anyway, before 2021, that was how it was. Anyway, but, uh, um, and if you lease a car, you're really bad at math. But that, that belongs in FPU, which just happens to be happening uh, right now and, and encourage you to be a part of it. But anyway, you, you're updating your car. You need to update your car. You need to update it. And you have never once paid attention to a Ford Explorer. You've driven down the road. You've never once even noticed a Ford Explorer. But you say, you know what? I got a bunch of kids I need a place to put them. I need a reliable transportation. And you start looking for things that are that size. And every time you drive down the road, you see every Ford Explorer on the road. Am I correct? You never noticed them before, but you start paying attention to them and then they're everywhere. And that's pretty much how life is too. What you focus on often becomes the thing you notice and you interact with and, and those things come to you because you're focused. It's like the teenage boy, his dad was trying to coach him in how to become a job, get a job and what he wanted to do for his career. And he said, son, just think about what you think about, you know, what do you think about all the time? And, and you know, what, what are you attracted to and what do you want to be all the time? You think on those things and that's what you'll become. And the dad said to his uh, son, said to his father, dad, I don't want to become a girl. Um, when you're looking for something, You'll often find it. I remember the story of the wise old man. He was sitting beside the road, and, um, and there was a, a, a man coming down the road with his family, and they were headed to a new town to move to this new town, the town up ahead. And he sees the old man sitting there, and he said, what are the people like in the town up in front of me? And he said, well, what were they like in the town you came from? And he said, man, they were horrible. They were angry all the time. They were, they were lousy, backstabbing jerks. And, and the old man beside the road said, well, that's what they're like up in the town ahead. Now, a few minutes later, another family comes down the road and the guy sees the old man and he says, uh, hey, what are people like up in the town ahead? And he says, well, what were they like in the town you came from? And he said, man, they were, they were awesome. They were loyal. They were hardworking. They were faithful people. It's a great community. And the old man says about the exact same town, that's what they're like up in the town ahead. Because what you bring into a situation is often what you get out of a situation. That is a principle, right? Right. When you walk into the room, does the room get better or worse? When you walk into a, an argument, does it, do you carry your gasoline or your water? You know, what, what do you bring into the situation? There's some truth to that, that you get what you pursue. You get what you focus on. You get a little bit of the character that comes back to you. But as, scripture, uh, but as believers in Jesus, we don't believe in karma. Do you hear what I said? You know what karma is, right? I do this, I get that, Period. 
We don't believe in karma. It's not scriptural. Jesus didn't teach us. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually gave us a very clear instance where we don't believe in karma. It's in John chapter 9, and there was a guy who was born blind, and Jesus heals him. It's in John chapter 9, and I don't have time to go into the story, but as he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So see, they're expecting a one-to-one correlation. He did, therefore he gets And Jesus said, notice this, notice this, neither this man nor his parents sin. So he he just throws the idea of karma out the window. And he says this, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed through him. Now, if I were to take my message today and I were to boil it down to one simple thought, it would be this. That the, 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 the power of God wants to be displayed through you, through bad things. God has positioned you that, that you have power to bring good out of bad things. So would y'all stand to me and honor, stand with me in honor of God's word? And uh, God's word, we're going to go to Luke chapter 13. I told you, open your Bible. You guys want to bring your Bible to church. You might might find something you want to mark and see it later. So let's go to Luke 13. Um, now there were some present. Now there were some present <clears throat> at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So let's see if we can get this story a little bit, all right? Uh, Pilate was the ruler over Jerusalem. And as ruler over Jerusalem, he needed to get a fresh water supply into the city. So he was building an aqueduct. He was building an aqueduct to take water from the pool of Siloam into the town, not realizing that it was already, probably already done. We can talk about that later because I read a book on that. It was really cool. Anyway, he was going to bring water from this point to this point. And uh, so what he did was he, uh, he took the temple tax. Now, if you don't, haven't read your Bible, there's, there's a tax in the Old Testament that when you come to worship once a year as an, as an Israelite, you were supposed to pay a tax for the temple, and it was like a shekel and a half, and that shekel and a half of silver was to be brought as a tax so that upkeep on the temple buildings could be done and they could have the proper supplies and things like that. So there was a tax to take care of the temple. What Pilate did was he... He basically governmentally stole the temple tax and he was using the temple tax money to build his water supply for the city. Now, the city needed a water supply, but they, he shouldn't have used the temple tax to supply water for the city that was being paid for by the country folks. Hold on, this, there's no politics going on here. There's no politics at all, none, none. Because we never have politicians that use money designated for one thing to use it for something else, right? So what happened, a bunch of people from the country, remember, Jerusalem, the Dead Sea is down here in Jerusalem, set right here on the corner of Dead Sea. Galilee was up here. These people did not drink the water at Jerusalem. But they were forced to pay the tax to take care of the temple because they were in town to worship. So when these people from out of town come to town and realize their tax is being stolen and misappropriated and used for the wrong things, they get all up in arms and they start having a protest. You can read about this in Josephus. They were having a protest. 
And they started protesting. When they protested, Pilate didn't like being protested against, so he sent some soldiers in there. The soldiers got a little out of control, and the protest turned into a riot, and the riot turned into a bunch of people from Galilee getting killed. Are y'all following me here? We know from 2020 and 2021 that nothing like this happens today. Can we stop for just a second and quit reading the scriptures and let the scriptures read us? This text is very appropriate to our world right now. So there were these Galileans who didn't like what was going on in Washington, D.C. I'm sorry, that were going on. And they start a protest, and the protest turns into a riot, and the riot winds up throwing everything into a problem. Just saying. And Jesus answered them. This is what he answered. He said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. See, the answer, the problem is that we always want to say somebody else deserves what they get, but I never get what I deserve. God, don't give me what I deserve, but give them what they deserve. And and when other people suffer, we say, well, they should be better than that. But when we suffer, we want to... Can I show you this? Can you put up the next slide real quick? I tell you no, but unless you repent. The answer to our national problems is not Washington, D.C. repenting. It's you repenting. Oh, the answer is yes, they need to repent. I have no problem with that. But I'm going to tell you where it needs to start. With you. Because Jesus is taking a scenario that happened to them and he's saying, "Uh, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he uses a second story in the story of the Tower of Siloam. There were 18 people. Apparently what happened is the pool where they were digging, all of their digging, they might have undermined one of the towers and some people were just there. Regular average day people that didn't know they were getting caught in somebody else's problem. Like the people who went to work on 9-11. Right? And what happened is the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Jesus said, I tell you no. And notice what he said again. Unless you repent. But unless you, not the person next to you, you repent, you too will all perish. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Hmm. So Father, I pray that today you would add your blessing to this message that we would hear what you have to say to us and that we would be a people that do respond in repentance in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wait, wait, before you're seated, don't sit yet. There's somebody near you that they have not had anybody be nice to them today. Give them a big smile. Smile at them real big. Tell them hi. Tell them it's good to see them. Yeah. Let them know you like them. It's all right. Hey, if you're online, here's your big smile. Welcome today. So, Jesus' response to both stories is the same. Repent or perish. Now, let me define for you repentance. Repentance means I am going this direction and I repent. And when I repent, what did I do? I turned around and went the other direction. Repentance literally means a change of direction, a change of behavior. So then Jesus, he, uh, he's going to tell you a story and he's going to tell a parable And that's where I thought I was going to preach from the parable, but I had to set this up first. So before we get to the parable, let me give you the core belief I have from this passage. Bad things 
are an opportunity to produce good. Bad things are an opportunity to produce good. Bad things may happen to you that are beyond your control. Maybe you were mistreated as a kid. Maybe you were even abused. Maybe you've been through a divorce because somebody cheated on you or you cheated on them or something bad happened or maybe governmental mandates have hurt you or finances have been hurt by the decisions of others or freedoms have been taken away or maybe hurricanes happen. What? We just got back. There was a group of us, 13 of us, that went to the Bahamas. And when, I know when we talk about going to the Bahamas, you think, oh, nice vacation. Let me just tell you, we had one day that was a nice vacation. <laughs> we had six days that weren't so much a nice vacation. It was a lot of work. Because we went there, what, what happened was, in 2019, there was this hurricane called Dorian that settled over the Bahamas, and it basically destroyed everything. So I brought back some pictures. The first one is a little darker than I wanted it to be, but basically what you see is that every tree on the island that I saw was dead. Uh, 120 to 140 mile an hour sustained winds for over an hour as it parked, as the hurricane parked right over this island of Abaco. And uh, all, all those are dead. You see the trees are broken. Uh, every, everything died. Everything was killed. I mean, the underbrush has grown back because it's been two years, but all the trees were dead. There was a 12-foot tidal surge that surged over the island. And I think we got a picture of what it left in the middle of downtown. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what the town looked like uh, there on Abaco. That's, that's how the town looked after the hurricane. I just think about um, there were stories, we talked to people, uh, stories of them tying themselves to a tree because their house had already been washed away. And they tied themselves to a tree to suffer through a hurricane with a 12-foot tidal surge. There, there, were, there was one family, the pastor we were working with, uh, um, he, uh, he went over to the window because it started rattling weirdly. And he walked over and his entire family came over to this window to look at this window that was rattling weirdly. And then this part of their house disappeared. If they had been in this side of the house, they would have all been dead. But they were there at the window. They said, God drove them to the window. So they're like, we got to get out of here. They went and they got in their car. They sat down in the car and the roof of their house blew over and flipped in such a way that it protected their car from the abuse of the rest of the hurricane. There was another pastor we were working with, the pastor I preached at two weeks ago. Uh, he was in the church. The church was there. Yeah, until the 12-foot tidal wave that brought this boat. This was right across the street. This boat sits in the town right across the street. That's just right there in downtown. That is a boat that came on a 12-foot tidal surge and was dropped right there next to downtown. And that's where his church was. And the whole church was washed away. And he survived miraculously from the building washed away literally under him. And can we just say that, that all of those things sound pretty painful, right? But can I tell you what I believe? I believe that I don't have to just let bad things happen. I choose to happen to bad things. I choose to happen to bad things. Bad things may happen to me, but I choose to make bad things to happen to bad things. So you know what we did? We as a team, we had a team of 13 people that went down. Can you go back to that slide? There are 13 of us and we went down, we ministered in the church and these people paid for it out of their own money. They took a week off work. They chose to happen to bad things. And we helped rebuild the, the campground where there's going to be, you know, we're big campers. We love 
church camp, right? So we rebuilt a campground where there are going to be hundreds of kids come this next year and, and go to church camp again because we happened to bad things. And, and this team, they worked really hard. And I believe we got a picture of all 13 of us. All 13 of us sitting out there. And these are, this is what we believe. You've, I know you've heard that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we think that's about how much weight I can lift in the gym. No, it's not. It's about this. When bad stuff happens, I can do all things and I can make good things happen to bad things because I have the power of Christ in me. Can you put that back up there again? I choose to happen to bad things. And I went with 13 people to, to the Bahamas who chose to happen to bad things. Bad things might happen to you, but you have a chance to happen to them. That's, that's who we are in Christ. We're a people that have the power. We serve a Jesus who something bad happened to him. He was killed, right, on the cross. He was buried in a grave. But you know what? He chose to happen to those bad things. And now we're all saved through what he gave us through those bad things. I got about three people with me. Come on. Y'all are going to have to help me or I'm going to run out of voice up here. The bad things might be God doing what is necessary to make your life fruitful. Abraham Lincoln said, die when I may. I want, to, I want it said of me that I plucked a weed and I planted a flower wherever a flower would grow. I, I believe the bad things that happen, the weeds that happen in your life are an opportunity for you to plant flowers. I believe that the bad things that happen to you, if you believe in a resurrected Jesus, you can do all things through him. No, no, not I can be awesome. No, I get to be awesome to other people's bad things. So the bad things might be God doing what is necessary to make your life fruitful. Now, this is where I wanted to start in the, the message. I wanted to start here. But as you can see, I had to do a big sermon illustration to get to where I need to go. And the reason why is it says in Luke chapter 13, verse 6, then. When I read then, I knew that I couldn't read the parable and teach from the parable without backing up and talking about what came before. For there to be a then, there has to be a before. So why do bad things happen? Well, they happen because they happen. But if we will repent, we can bring life out of the bad. But if not, we're going to perish like all the rest of them. Then Jesus told this parable. There was a man who had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. Now, what's the use of having a fig tree in a vineyard? What's the use of having a fig tree unless it's going to bear you figs? Right? It's not the best shade tree. There are better shade trees. So what you do is you grow a fig tree because you want figs. I grow an apple tree because I want apples, right? All right. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. By the way, do you know how long it takes for a fig tree to become fruitful? Three years. So he planted the fig tree and for three years he'd been waiting for fruit. It's now time for the fig tree to bear fruit. That's how long it takes him to get to fruit. And he goes, he doesn't find any fruit. And he's a little ticked off that he's been putting all this time and energy into this fig tree that isn't doing anything. Do you know what he says? He says, cut it down. Cut it down. Why should it use up my soil? 
Sir, the man replied. Now, hold on. Let me give you the two stock. If, if you're reading parables, there are a couple of stock images that you can find all over the place that will help you interpret parables because parables are a story with an intentional meaning in them. So the parable here has a God as a figure. God is the owner of the fig tree. And by the way, fig trees were representative not only of individuals, but they were also representative of Israel as a whole. So God is looking for fruit from his people. And the, the owner, the, the keeper of the vineyard, is represented by Jesus. So Jesus is now the caretaker of the vineyard. And God is saying, this is my vineyard. I'm looking for fruit out of this fig tree. There's no fruit. He says, cut it down. And the person of Jesus, the, the form of Jesus says, no, 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 wait. Listen to what he says, sir. Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we cut it down. So Jesus says, there's something we're going to do to this fig tree. Can I talk to you today as if you are the fig tree? And God, your father, is looking for fruit from you. And he's not finding the fruit that he wants out of your life. And he says, I got to get some fruit out of you. I, I'm done with them. I'm going to give up on them, says God the Father. And Jesus says, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Give me some time to dig it and to dung them. Let me dig them and dung them. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what does it mean to dig and dung? So the first one is dig it. And for that, on back, I've used this one a few times. It works. It's an axe. Now the word dig it here, what he's talking about doing is, so, so when you want to grow a tree in an arid climate, the tree gets planted and the roots have a tendency to grow up at the top, correct? And at an arid climate where it's really dry and it doesn't have a lot of water, those roots then, what is the purpose of the root system of a tree? The root system of the tree is to gather water and nutrients out of the soil, correct? All right? So what happens is if all of your root system's on top in a dry climate, what happens when, when it gets dry and you need water pr to produce fruit? Because, you know, you don't want dried up figs. You want juicy figs, right? So what happens is the first thing you have to do to get that tree to begin to produce fruit is you have to go to the root system that is around the top of that tree and you have to take your axe and you have to strike it. And when you strike the root of the trees, you sever the root system that it's been trusting in. That is a very violent action, but that's an action of think about the things in your life that you trust in. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your view of me being a self-made man. And God comes along and says, oh yeah, take this. And he chops away at the root structure that you trust in because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build fruit out of everybody else's life. 
You want your life to look like everybody else. So you build the root structure of everybody else in this world. You're surface, you're shallow. You do the same things the same way everybody else in our culture does. And you don't bear fruit in your life, quite honestly, isn't very healthy. And the reason it's not healthy is you're trying to look and act like everybody else in our culture. And God says, I have to break it. I have to dig it. I have to chop those roots away. What happens is when the tree loses its roots on the surface, it then forces the tree to send its roots deep. And when its roots go deep, it finds moisture year-round. There is no moisture on the surface. You'll go through a time in your life where all of the moisture and all the things that hold you together will be broken away. They will be cut away or else you're going to die. And what God says is, I want you, I want you to be a producer of fruit. And for that to happen, I have to chop away the things you trust in, the things that you think are so important. Now, I've been, I've been reviewing the last year because I got to do a business meeting report. February 20th at 5 o'clock p.m., we have a business meeting here. We go over the year's finances. We go over what happened the last year at the church. We talk about those things. We vote some people into positions. If you're a member, you should be there. If you're not a member, come anyway. Have some fun. You, business meetings are fun here. They really are. So anyway, I've been reviewing the past year, and I realized that, you know, 2020 and 2021 were pretty rough. For church world, you know, we, we had a church that was pushing 700 people on a regular basis, and we look up and we're trying to have 350 in the building. That's rough. How do you redo ministries? How do you do things? What do you do? Come on. It's like all the superfluous stuff in our life got cut away. You know, it's... (laughs) Nobody, Nobody went through that in your world during those two years either, right? Maybe, just maybe. Maybe what God was trying to do was dig away at your life to get you to quit trusting in your new cars or trusting in your job, trusting in how you looked because you got a mask over your face and nobody knows how you look now anyway. (laughs) Are y'all alive during these past couple years? What if God was intentionally saying they're trusting in the wrong things? I have to dig it. I have to dig around it. I have to cut the roots away. Um, I was thinking about this, and I thought, how could I illustrate this? And I thought of a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. And when she was 18 years old, Johnny uh, was swimming with her sister in the Chesapeake Bay, and she did a headfirst dive into water she thought was deep. It wasn't deep. She broke her neck at the fourth and fifth vertebrae, and it left her a quadriplegic. So she lost use of her arms our hands and her feet. All she has now is a little bit of use of her shoulder and delt muscles, and, and that's it. Everything else is gone. She paints pictures using her teeth to paint pictures. And she did a, an interview with Larry King, and as I was reading it, I, I just thought I'd read you some quotes from her. She said, if I could be a fly on the wall, if you could be a fly on the wall in my bedroom on any given morning, or if you could live in my skin for just a few days with quadriplegia, 
You would see that, I can, that it can decimate you. It just lays you flat. You come undone. You have no resources. And sometimes I think that my affliction is like a sheepdog snapping at my heels, making me run down the road to the cross of Jesus Christ for help because there ain't nowhere else to go but to God. She got dug. She said, I... Uh, the thing that helped me the most was getting my attention off myself and putting on helping others. And she said, this wheelchair, I think, has been God's... Listen to this. This wheelchair, I think, has been God's way of turning my life inside out and jerking my priorities and values right side up. Do you hear what she said? I don't want you to be a quadriplegic, but there are some of you, I would rather you become a quadriplegic than to waste your entire life pursuing the garbage of this world and thinking it's okay. Here she is saying, God has used this to make my life right side up and to help others dig it. Second is dung it. So dung it. I, I hate to tell you, when the gardener says, I'm going to dung it, they didn't have Scott's fertilizer or Lesco. They didn't have that. What did they have to fertilize? It wasn't Scott's. It wasn't Lesco. It was poop. Good old-fashioned crap. It stinks. It's nasty. It's unsanitary. But Jesus, the stock character in the story, says this tree needs some crap thrown on it before it can produce. I'm not saying anything that's not in the Bible here. And some of us, we have had crap happen to us. Bad situations happen to you. But I believe through the life of Jesus Christ... You can happen to bad situations. If you want to throw dung on me, I'm not going to be all right with that. I talked to uh, Jim Henners after the service. He said when he came back from Vietnam, he was a medic, by the way. He was there to help other guys. <laughs> Got wounded, came home. Wife saved his life. When he walked through the doors and started walking out of the airplanes, people were taking their human defecation and throwing it on him. And he said, I would like to say I behave like a Christian, but I behave more like Kevin Crow. <laughs> I'll tell you something. You ever spit on me? You better duck. Right? I love Jesus, but I'm not sure my reactions love Jesus yet. <laughs> My reaction time may take a couple of minutes before I feel bad about it. <laughs> what, y'all all right? Well, you, come on, can we be honest here? How many of you like having garbage thrown on you? You want somebody to spit on you, throw dung on you? But yet life has thrown dung on you. Maybe, maybe you were abused. Maybe, I don't know, maybe your, maybe your life just took on a bad turn. Somebody treated you wrongly. 
Maybe you feel like I do sometimes. I didn't get a shovel full of dung here. I didn't get a shovel full. I feel like sometimes I got the whole semi-load back up and go beep, 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 beep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What do you do when dung comes to you? Uh, Dung is there to fertilize. It's never happy and it's never fun, but it's there to fertilize. And what happens if you get more fertilizer on you than you know what to do with? Well, can we read that? It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So what happens is, if you had a dump truck back up and just dump the whole load, I say it this way, my entire life is to take some of my stuff and fertilize your trees with it. Maybe you got enough fertilizer for those around you and they don't have enough. Maybe you can comfort them and teach them from the stuff that's happened to you. Maybe your dung that came to you is not only to make you fruitful, but maybe your kids fruitful and maybe their kids after them. So, dung it, what does that mean? It means that you develop new ways of thinking and new habits about the bad stuff that happens to you. You use it for fertilizer rather than an excuse to be angry. How about you forgive the people that did you wrong? If you don't forgive them, they won't, God says he won't forgive you. Well, well, how about we change some habits in our lives? Because dung actually means you got to dung something, give them fertilizer to start something they didn't have. So maybe you need a new habit. So what I want to talk to you about is some simple changes, some repentance, you know? Repent. What do you do when you repent? You change a habit or a behavior. And Charles Duhigg in his book, um, the book is The Power of Habit, says that if you get the right habit, you can change your entire life changing one simple habit. It's called the power of true north. You know that if your compass is off, you'll never find true north, so you'll never know exactly where you're going. But if you'll change your compass so that you know where you're going, then all your other decision-making process gets better. Maybe what we need to do is we need to change one of those key things in our life and quit making excuses and start making the change that we can use the dung to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in our lives. So, here are some simple changes you can make. Read the scriptures. Maybe you set out a, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every day. If you do that, start with John. Maybe that'll help reset your compass to true north because then you'll start thinking about what God wants for your life rather than what you or the TV or Facebook or Insta or Twitter or whatever else it is that you get your image from. How about you change your diet? Come on, there are some of you, you just need to change your diet. Simple change of diet will change your entire world. How about you go back to college or how about this one? I will exercise 15 minutes a day, three times a week. I'm not, I'm not saying you get in shape. I'm saying you exercise 15 minutes a day, three times a week. How about you join a life group? <laughs> how about you set a budget? Just make a budget. 
Or how about this one? Attend services in person. I know if you're watching online, I know you're connected. I know you're there. Uh, we, we know what we feel. We pray for you. We interact with you. But come on, at some time, you're going to have to lay this pandemic aside and go back to living life. And I want to encourage you, if you're, let's find a way. And if you can't come to these services, get in a life group. Get in a life group. I'd rather you be in a life group than be here on a Sunday morning. I mean that. We were talking about somebody the other day that attends this church only through life groups. I'm like, great. I'm happy with that. What, don't you want him to come to church? No. Let him go to life group. He's got to deal with you guys. You'll straighten them out. All right? So what habit do you choose? No matter what habit you choose, can we talk about habit choice real quick? Make it smart. If you're going to make a habit change in your life, let's make it smart. So uh, a couple of simple things to help with your habit habits. Number one, S, be specific. I want to, I want to get rich. What is that? Uh, I don't know. I want to be a good person. I want to be healthy. What does that mean? I be healthy? What, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean you want to get in shape? Does that mean you want to lose weight? What, what, is, what does it mean? So you spe- set a specific habit, something that's specific. Set a, go- a goal you know you'll reach it if you do it. Measurable. Now, like I already mentioned measurable. Read one chapter in the Bible. Lose 10 pounds. Get debt free. I don't care what your habit is. Set it. Make it measurable. You have to know when you reach it so you can have a party. You need to party when you celebrate wins. Uh, make it attainable. I, one of mine is that I want to finish the New Testament in Greek by the end of 2022. Now, that, that's a rough habit for me. I'm, I'm halfway through Hebrews. I've got to get through the end of the New Testament. That's a lot of work to do, but it's attainable. Now, if I say I want to finish the New Testament in, in a week, that is not going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? And make it attainable. Um, you know, I save 15% of your income. That's attainable. You know if you're doing it. Realistic. I, we had a guy one time. I was youth pastor at a church. We had about 100 people attending church. And this guy at our annual business meeting said, I want us to have 500 in Sunday school by next year. I laughed. I was a youth pastor. We had, we had 100 people in the church. He wanted 500. Our, our parking, we couldn't have parked 500 people if we'd had to. There's no way it was a realistic goal. And some of you are like, I want to have six-pack abs. You're 55. Come on. <laughs> My testosterone's gone, you know? What can, anyway. How about timely? Set a start date and an end date. How do you know? That way you got a time frame to work on. So I just want to tell you, God wants you to, God wants you to have an attainable life. He wants you to have a life where you have goals that you accomplish and you do something with them. Because God wants you to be fruitful. And if you're not fruitful, living or eating or reading or praying or going to church or whatever it is, if you're not fruitful going this way, what do you need to do? Turn around. around. You need to repent. He said it about the Galileans, repent or perish. The Tower of Siloam, repent or perish. The fruitless tree, repent or perish. If you don't do those, God's going to bring judgment on you. You either repent or you suffer his judgment, period. Isn't that what the text says? 
All right, so why does God want fruit out of your life? That's how he made you. John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be more fruitful. Remain in me, Jesus said, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. One more. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And some of you, you, you haven't borne fruit. God's got fruit for you to do with your life. He's got you. He wants you to happen to bad situations. And you're still letting them happen to you. He wants you to happen to bad situations. He wants you to bear fruit regardless of what's happening. That's what he wants for you. And it's not happening yet. Do you know why? Because you're not in him. You haven't made the choice to be in him. So he's saying to you, repent. I don't care what you believed, what you thought. You need to repent and you need to return to Jesus Christ today. And this will be the fruit of your repentance. You ready for this? If you're online, you can text believe to the number on the screen. We're going to follow up with you. But if you're in this room, here's going to be the fruit of your repentance that you're going to start bearing fruit. You're going to turn to Jesus and you're going to say, I will start investing. I will start serving the kingdom of God. So when you walk out of the back doors today, when you walk out of these back doors standing right out there, there's going to be people waiting on you to sign up, to sign you up so that you can begin to serve, so that you can bear fruit. If not, God's going to keep digging you and he's going to keep dunging you until you decide to serve. Now, why have I asked this? Because, listen, it's smart. It's a smart goal. It's specific. I want you to grow spiritually. How do I want you to grow spiritually? I want you to serve. It's measurable. You will bear fruit by showing up and being dependable. Come on. It is attainable. We ask you to serve one Sunday a month. How many? One. One Sunday a month. Serve one Sunday a month. That's, a, that's attainable. It's realistic. Here's the realism. You will grow in discipline even if you won't grow in any other way. And it's also timely because you're going to do it today. Not next week. You're going to do it today. And there are some of you that you're here, you've been serving your once a month and you know that it's time for you to bear fruit. That You're not bearing fruit. Come on, we had 75 kids back in children's ministries a couple weeks ago. 75. Two nursery workers per room is not enough when we have 75 kids back there. Right? We need some of you to step in. And by the way, if you want to work with my kids, you want to work with our kids, we will let you work with our kids after you've gone through all the appropriate channels. And if you're a weirdo, you won't make it through the channels. Because I don't want no weirdos with my kids. Weird people, yes. Weirdos, no. Weird people's all of us, right? Right? 
There's some of you, you need to take the steps and start the process of becoming a, a kid's worker and working with our kids. There's some of you ladies that you have babies and you bring them and you drop them off and you use all the time and you never reinvest. Maybe it's your day to say, you know what, I'm going to start the process. I'm going to begin investing once a month in some other young lady who needs her kids taken care of. There's some of you, I'm too old for that. No, you aren't. Michael Maynard's sitting right there. He bowed his head. You know why he bowed his head? Because he knows what I'm going to talk about. He volunteered like an idiot to do kids ministry when we're in the Bahamas. And he will tell you something to happen to him. When he was doing kids ministry and he bowed his knees and started talking to the kids, he'll tell you God got a hold of him and dug him and dug him, dunged him, and God started shaking him. And God wants to shake some of you. If you've never done anything, we'll give you an entry level. Listen, enough of this passive sitting and letting life happen to you. It's about time for you to start happening to life. So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. And then you're going to go walk out there and sign up. And by the way, quit giving me those stinking excuses. Why? I don't care what why is followed by. Whatever why is followed by sounds stupid. Come on, you've heard it from other people, especially if you're a parent. And it's always stupid, isn't it? Why? I'm trying to tell you that God's going to demand from your life. And you either get serious about it or God's going to cut you down. And I don't want that to happen. Am I being serious enough? I'm trying to have some fun, but I'm trying to be serious. Jesus, I pray as we walk out of these doors today, we would commit to serve, to grow, and to be the people you called us to be, that we would bear fruit and that we would happen to the bad situations of this world rather than the bad situations happening to us. In the name of Jesus, we choose to be the difference makers. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next week.